Good morning. What a wonderful time we had last week across the street at the high school, amen? There were so many people involved with making that Christmas presentation this year a success. And uh, without naming names, you know who you are. (laughs) We are so appreciative of all the contributions, everything from costumes to direction to musical direction to being backstage, making sure kids are all mic'd up and everything. And it was just an amazing time. So everyone who was a part of that, I personally thank you. I very much, very much enjoyed it. I know many did. This morning we are in the book of Genesis, and we were in chapter 10, and I thought about doing a Christmas message today and then again next week, but I said, well, we'll save that for next week. I'd like to continue in the book of Genesis. I know that this is a very, very interesting portion of scripture in chapter 10 because uh, what we see here now as we begin in chapter 10, verse 2, is the generations of Shem. That is, in the previous section, we were looking at the generations, or if you will, the history and the lineage of the sons of Noah, which included Shem. So Ham, Japheth, and Shem. But now we have a portion that Moses took from the account that Shem recorded, and he includes it here because it gives us some interesting information, which we'll go through all the way through chapter 11, verse 10. But this morning, we're only going to look at chapter 10. And as we're there, I want to point out something. That when we came to the end of the flood, when Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives and all the animals with him came off the ark, this is something that God said. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. As for you, in verse 7 of chapter 9, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth, and increase upon it. So God's command to them after they had survived the cataclysm of the global flood was to, in fact, multiply, increase, and fill the earth. Now, the animals certainly did, and the human beings certainly did. And it begs the question, I think a lot of people who don't look at the book of Genesis as history uh, try to punch holes in it, you know? But it's so wonderful because it literally answers every question that anyone could possibly have from where did we come from, how did we get here, why are we here, Uh, and even the process of how did we get here. And chapter 10 is very important because it explains what we call the table of the nations. It explains, in, in, in summary, how we went from three sons of Noah and their wives to over 70 different people groups recorded in the chapter 10 section here, And then ultimately to the many, many different people groups that we're aware of today on the earth. Now, it's not hard to to imagine that a world at one time united by language could have uh, accomplished a great deal. In fact, today, through the tools that we have, computers and other, other, other apps and things we have, we can communicate across the language barriers that exist. In a couple weeks, we'll look at how that happened. But for today, we're just going to look at the results of what happened. God ultimately confounded the languages of men for his purposes. Because, unfortunately, it seems like every time mankind does come together for some purpose, it's not a noble purpose. Unfortunately, it seems to be a horrific purpose. Like, wars bring people together. You know? I mean, I don't know. It's very upsetting to know that any time man gets together on a large scale, no good ever seems to come of it. Very sad. But looking at the text today, we've seen that the command from the Lord was for them to multiply, increase, and fill the earth. And they did that. And what Shem wants us to understand is that from the three sons of Noah, there came different branches of tribes And that ultimately, about a hundred years later, they were divided by God into separate language groups. And that explains why today on the earth, different clans and nations and language groups separated. They separated because of their language being changed by God, his intervention. So as we look at this text today, uh, it may seem 
pedantic, if I can use a fancy word. It may seem to be boring. That's another way of saying that. It may seem to be something that, oh, you could just kind of read past. I want to show you some things that I think you'll find interesting. And then ultimately, I want us to come to the conclusion. And at the conclusion, we're going to see there's a purpose for us. There's a reason why God allowed this and did this. And there's a purpose as to why we are, in fact, divided the way God had ordained. But we can also be united in Christ, in the language of love and of the Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this chapter and all the things that are within it. And I pray that you'd give us ears to hear and a mind to understand. As we look at the things here, uh, some of it is anthropologic. It talks about the history of man, sociology. But those things are not as important as the age-old eternal question as to why we're here, why you placed us here, why you divided us up into different language groups. What was your purpose in that? We want to understand your purposes, your will, Lord, that we might fulfill your will and be submitted to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start in verse 2. The previous account comes to a conclusion, actually, in chapter 10, verse 1. But we read this regarding the Japhethites, or the descendants of Japheth. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Medai, Yavin, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras, the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togomara, the sons of Yavin, Elisha, Tarshish, and Kittim, and the Rodanim. From these, the maritime peoples spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each within its own language. Now, here we're not told that it was through that experience in the next chapter that's recorded for us, the Tower of Babel, that people were divided. Here we're just told that there came a point when the people divided. I want to talk a little bit about the Japhethites. And and in, in doing this, the purpose isn't to make you all smarter, although if you get a little smarter, that's always good. The purpose is for you to understand that this is history. And it makes sense, but it's also true. And when you look at it as history, all the pieces come together. Very much like doing a jigsaw puzzle. The other night we were over at the Morgans, and the girls were really excited about this 1,000-piece jigsaw puzzle of a nativity. And so the kids were working very feverishly on it. And as we were looking at that, I was realizing, you know, you're piecing together the face of the baby Jesus. You're piecing together Mary and Joseph. You're putting all these pieces together. When you're finished, you have the complete picture you can understand what you're looking at. And it makes sense. Some pieces you try to fit, they don't fit. And then you find the place where that piece fits, and it all comes together. That's a great analogy of what it means to study the book of Genesis properly. You're getting all these little pieces, and it may be a thousand-piece puzzle at times, but it all comes together, and then you see the face of Jesus. You see the plan of God. You also see very clearly God's plan for you. Amen? The Japhethites. The descendants of Japheth were the ancestors of the Indo-European peoples. That is, the Japhethites settled northward in the regions around the Black and Caspian Seas. If you're familiar with geography, uh, we don't talk too much about geography in school anymore for whatever reason. I've always loved looking at maps. I was actually, at one point in my career, an electronic cartographer. I used Uh, If you've ever used any mapping program, those maps have to be built by somebody. I actually did that for a while. And uh, it's a lot of fun to look at maps. When I was a kid, I used to love the atlas. I'd open up the atlas and I would look at maps. I still look at maps. I especially like street view. Isn't that great? You don't even have to get out of your car. You want to look at a house? Street view. Just walk down the street. It's amazing. So maps have come a long way. But when we talk about geography, it's helpful to know where these people settled. Japheth in Greek is called Iapetos. Iapetos. And Iapeti is the reputed ancestor of the Arians. That usually brings up not good thoughts. But Arian people, uh, typically lighter complexion, at least now, uh, these are the peoples that settled to the north. Uh, Japheth... Uh, more than likely, the name Japheth from Hebrew was sort of changed and corrupted to, the, to Jupiter by the Romans. And it makes sense because ancestor worship became sort of the replacement for a worship for God among the early peoples and early civilizations. So what happened is the ancestors of Japheth started to worship a god that was named in their own language Japheth. So you have Jupiter. 
And Jupiter in Latin is Lupater, or father of the gods. So we see the language, the linguistics, point us in the direction of European peoples being descended from Japheth. And over time, the stories change, things are invented, mythology develops. But ultimately, at the source, you have a vestige of the truth. And the truth is that Japheth was the ancestor of the Japhethites. And so they looked back at that. Now, some of the descendants of Japheth were like Gomer. Gomer is one that's mentioned. Uh, who, who can read that and not think, golly? But that's just me. That's not inspired. That's just me being weird. If you're older, you understand Gomer Pyle, USMC, right? Gomer was the probable ancestor of the Crimean or Germanic peoples. Uh, some of the ancestors... Uh, of, of the, or some of the descendants of Gomer were Ashkenaz. You've heard of that probably uh, because the, the name has long been associated with German Jews. They're called the Ashkenazi to differentiate them from the Sephardim and other branches of Judaism. But the Ashkenazi Jews are not descended from Ashkenaz. They just lived among the Ashkenaz people. And that's why that term... Why am I sharing these things? Because... There's a reason why these terms exist today. They come from truth, and that truth is in the Bible. This should, this study today should increase your appreciation and uh, for for Scripture and the credibility of Scripture in your mind and in your heart, and that will lead you to faith. Okay, that's why we're doing this today. Okay, so Ashkenaz was the ancestor of the Scandinavians, the Saxons, and some Armenians. Uh, In fact, Sakasin was once a region in Armenia. So these language and these language roots point us to the regions and the people groups that were descended according to the Bible's reckoning. Now, Riphath was a probable ancestor of the Carpathians. Carpathia, we're probably familiar with that region of the world. Togamara was the probable ancestor of the Armenians and the Turks. And it's amazing because, of course, we're all related at some point in the past, and yet many of these groups have been fighting and feuding and warring for millennia. And the Armenians and the Turks would be one example. The Jewish Targums, that is their literature, say that Germany was derived from Togomara. And so that's where the word comes from. And there may also be a connection with Turkey and Turkestan. So these groups, these people, they're there for a reason, and we see how that happened. Magog, who's mentioned in... Uh, the book of Ezekiel, and also in the book of Revelation. Magog is the probable ancestor of the Georgians. If you don't know where Georgia is, and I'm not talking about Georgia in the United States, Georgia in the former Soviet republics uh, is north of Israel. It's actually pretty close to Israel, to the north, a little beyond uh, Iran. And then you have Madai, which is the ancestor of the Medes. And so you can start to see the language leave some vestige of the original language, but the words change because when things are translated, they often do. Then you have Yavin or Javan. And this is the ancestor of the Ionians or the Greeks. And this is important because when the Greeks divided after the division or the Tower of Babel, they divided into a lot of different peoples. And that existed like for a very long time. It wasn't until the time of Alexander the Great that the Greek peoples actually re, or reunited, in a sense, or united, and they conquered the world. And they were a very warring people. Uh, and then you had the Romans come in, of course, and the Romans wanted the, Romana, uh, the Pax Romana, or the peace. They were actually a very peaceful people. They wanted to bring peace and civilization. The Greeks were constantly destroying each other until they united, and then they conquered the world. So if you happen to be Greek, very rich history, of course, but these Greek peoples uh, settled all over. Elisha was the ancestor of the Greeks. In fact, Eliasians are mentioned in Homer's Iliad. And that's important because that's a very ancient piece of uh, literature. Then you have Tarshish, the ancestor of a frequently mentioned seafaring people. Uh, they were often mentioned in the scripture. Uh, the name later became associated with the Phoenicians and the maritime cities. And I've often thought, now, I'm I'm Sicilian. You probably know that by now. If you didn't, you probably said, that makes sense. (laughs) So I have found that I, I, maybe it's in my genes. I love the water. I love being on the water. You know, some people can't handle being out on the ocean, right? Some people just, they get seasick. I'm like, I love it. I'm like happy. You know, when the the waves start to rock, I'm happy. I'm relaxed. I love it. Um, and I, I don't know if that has anything to do with my Sicilian heritage, but when, when you're descended from people that lived on an island, seasickness wouldn't help you very much, right? So it's interesting as we look back at the history of humanity and we look at where we've come from. Uh, we all come from, you know, 
eventually we made it down to Noah, right? Because Adam and then all the way down to Noah and his sons. But there's reasons why we're different. Diversity is a good thing. We've talked about that recently. Differences are good. We should embrace them. Celebrate them even. It's okay, and especially within the church. I love it. So as we look at these different uh, peoples, the Phoenicians were actually Canaanites that conquered the Japhethites, but these people from Tarshish, for whatever reason, they became maritime or seafaring peoples. Kittim were the ancestors of the Cyprians, Cyprus, an island in the Mediterranean, and Rhodanim, probable ancestors of the Greeks that settled in the Aegean Sea. The language bears this out, the history bears this out, and it helps us to understand uh, the history of mankind, obviously from the beginning leading up to where we start to have other historical sources other than the Bible. Now, Tubal is a probable ancestor of the Russians, or uh, it may find its way into the, uh, the term or the name of the city Tobolsk, or they're called the Tiberini. So these words kind of, again, translate one language to the next. Meshach, probable ancestor of the Russians or the Muscovy, Moscow. Some of these word roots start to bear that out. Obviously, Russia is a group, not Russia just alone, but the Soviet Union and then Russia. They're groups of many, many different types of people. They're not just one group. You know, like the United States, we, we're not all the same, and Russia is a vast country, was even larger when it had the other Soviet republics. And so these people, very many different peoples, and some of them are mentioned here. Then we have Tyrus mentioned, probable ancestor of the Thracians or the Etruscans. And if you know anything about the history of man, they are some of the oldest people. In fact, the Etruscan language is lost, but it, it, it points to a time in the distant past. And their culture is still evident archaeologically in the areas of Italy and north of Italy. So why do I mention this? Because it's amazing when you study history and archaeology that these names point right in the direction of the perceived and understood truth that we see today. Okay, so that dispersion was by clan and language, and it resulted in the nations within specific territories. And clearly, if God had not confounded the languages of mankind, we would have stayed together. And no doubt we would have accomplished all types of evil things. So God knew it was better for us to be divided. And then unfortunately, what happens when you are divided, you have some peoples that do good and some peoples that don't do so good. And you have good nations and wicked nations. And of course, we see that throughout the history of mankind and within the Bible as well. Okay, let's jump to Ham. That's Japheth, so the Indo-European peoples. Now let's look at Ham's descendants. They were the ancestors of the African, Asian and American peoples, because, and I'll get to this in future studies, uh, there's, a, there, there's a concept that, that historians and archaeologists have, uh, geologists as well, this idea of at one point all of the continents were sort of one landmass, and over time the tectonic plates shifted and peoples were divided across oceans. But in the beginning it was not so, and we know when God divided the peoples by language, it seems that also the land isolated them as well. And that's how come you can have a similar ancestor for African people and Americans, that is Native Americans, if you will, South America, uh, North America. There were land bridges at one time as well that allowed people to cross. And it's, it's interesting because as soon as God confounded the language, it was almost like the people groups just couldn't wait to get away from one another. We're very good at dividing, right? Aren't we? We're very good at dividing ourselves. Our nation is in, is in tatters right now because we don't know how to unite anymore. And I am a conservative independent politically, but it breaks my heart that we can't even talk to one another. There used to be a time when we could talk to one another. I had a friend growing up who was very progressive, very liberal. He voted for, uh, what was his name? Uh, Mondale, I think that was the guy. And uh, everyone else voted for Reagan, you know. And we would have these discussions. And they weren't even arguments. We were the best of friends. And we disagreed on almost everything politically. But there were things we came together and we agreed on. Uh, I was a, a nerd. Okay, now you know. But, like, we would sit around and, and, and talk about things and, and, and try to understand the world in which we live. Today we live in a world where we're best friends until you say... I'm wearing green on Christmas, and you say, I'm wearing red on Christmas, and then we get our guns out and shoot one another. I mean, we will divide over anything now, and that's not of God. There are some divisions that God brings about for his purposes, but the division we're experiencing in our world today is heartbreaking. 
And it's going to destroy us. I hope you know that. As a, as a people, as a country, as a culture, it's going to destroy us. So this Christmas, a time of peace and goodwill toward men, when you gather with family members and <clears throat> someone voted for Trump and someone voted for, what's his name? Biden. You're going to find out that you're going to find plenty of reasons to argue with each other over your differences. Can I encourage you? Maybe try to find some common ground. Try to unite. It's possible, you know. We, we've got to get back to a place where we're all Americans. And we're all Christians. And we're all humans. And I hope we can get there, but I have my doubts. Christ will, of course, under his reign, reunite all of those warring factions and judge and rule righteously. But until then, we need to do a little bit of work. Okay, so let's get to Ham. As I said, at this point, there were many, many descendants descended from Ham, and they spread out as the languages were divided. So Ham's descendants, let's read just, I'm going to read down to verse 12. In verse 6, the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, Sabteca. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, and this was a saying, ancient saying, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, and Shinar, that's Babylonia, or Iraq, modern-day Iraq. Uh, From that land he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, Resin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, that is, the great city. Now here we are, we're at a point where we're introduced to to one individual who really becomes a world ruler. This man Nimrod, we're told, in brief, united all of the peoples at that time, and built cities and became a powerful tyrant, really, in many ways. And we don't know a whole lot about him, but history points to, especially within Babylonian and Sumerian culture, a very tyrannical reign of world rulers. And it started with a man the Bible calls Nimrod. The Babylonians referred to him as Marduk, and he became one of their gods. But for now, let's just say this. Ham's descendants settled southward in Central Arabia, Egypt, the Mediterranean coast, and East Africa. They grew rapidly and spread out. And the Canaanites, of course, settled in the land which later became the home of the Jews. Uh, And that's another, a whole other story. But we'll get to that eventually. Egypt was called the land of Ham. And it makes sense as to why. He probably led that migration to northern Africa. In fact... The Egyptian god Hen was the equivalent of the Hebrew word Ham. And so that changed language, but the individuals that were the ancestors of each of these branches of humanity became their gods. And so through their religion, we can look through the religion and find the sources of the names of the descendants of Noah at the top. Again, builds credibility as history. The Bible is history, which I teach the Bible as history if you haven't noticed. I'm not sure if you noticed by now. That's, that's sarcasm. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Egypt was called Misraim, which uh, was the name of Ham's son. And he may be identified with Menes, the very first king of Egypt. All right? Now, Cush is the ancestor of the Ethiopians and the Arabians, that area where there is so much conflict today, uh, in the area of the uh, Red Sea, uh, Arabia, also, the Suez, that, that area, we're familiar with that area, um, the Persian Gulf. Now, there were a number of other peoples mentioned, Havala, Sabta, Rama, I'm not going to mention all these again, but these were the ancestors of the Arabians. Now, it's important to understand, <clears throat> there were many groups of people that lived in the Middle East over the centuries, and the Canaanites ultimately found their way there. Uh, but we oftentimes talk about the Arab-Israeli conflict. And there is a conflict. I don't know if you noticed, but there is a conflict. And there has been for a very long time. I'm not going to get into that today. But it's important to understand that some of these people's, people get confused. Like, for example, uh, Isaac and Ishmael. They often say that that's the beginning of the conflict. It's actually not. The Arabians were not descended from the Ishmaelites. They're different groups of people. In fact, if you look at the, the scripture, Isaac and Ishmael got along just fine. In fact, they together buried 
their father, Abram or Abraham. So a lot of people say things and they don't really know what they're talking about. Yes, there are conflicts in the Middle East, but they don't necessarily uh, understand that these different people groups have been warring with each other forever. It's not like it's just an Isra uh, Israeli or Arab conflict. It's, it's, it's so much more complicated than that. We hate what is different than us. We have a terrible history in this nation of isolating and alienating people according to ethnic group and skin color, language group, immigrant status. Whether it was in New York, if you were Irish and then Italian, or if you were Puerto Rican, or ultimately Haitian, or whatever. Why is it Search your heart. Why is it that whoever gets here last gets picked on? New kid in school gets picked on. Because the human heart is wicked to its core. And we need to be saved. Because the best we can do is that. I often grieve for the way that Native Americans were treated by Europeans. But I also grieve for the way Europeans were treated by Europeans. And Africans treated Africans. And Australians treated by Europeans. And the list goes on and on and on. No one has sole claim to oppression on this planet. I'm not minimizing conflicts that are going on today. I'm just saying it's nothing new. As the book of Ecclesiastes tells us, there's nothing new under the sun. The problem is the heart of man. You're not going to fix the heart of man. Only God knows the heart. Amen? So how do we get rid of the hate? How do we get rid of the division? How do we solve some of these larger problems? Well, the only way that happens is love. Not to quote Bert Bacharach, but what the world needs now is love. And it's true, but it needs God's love. And I'm trying to show you this is mankind, but God is so much greater. We celebrate this time of year, peace and goodwill toward men. The last thing you'll hear on the news, because it doesn't exist, apart from Christ. What Christ and love for God and a relationship with Jesus Christ should do, and sadly hasn't done for many, many millennia in religion, should bring people together in love. Even if we disagree, maybe especially if we disagree. So the challenge to Christians is to love. What is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What's the second? It's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? They asked Jesus. Who's my neighbor? And he told the parable about the Samaritan. You know the Samaritans? They were related to the Jews. They hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. You see my point? There's hate in abundance in this world. We don't focus on the hate, and it's horrible. We focus on God's love because that's the answer to getting rid of the hate that's in mankind's heart. And it exists from the very moment we're conceived because we have a sin nature. Oh, the problem is so much bigger than the Arab-Israeli conflict. That's the point I'm trying to make. That's, that's all I'm trying to say. I don't take sides. There aren't sides to be taken. You know, God doesn't even take sides. God doesn't approve of some, some of what we see in our world today by a long shot. But we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. It doesn't excuse atrocities and bad behavior. It looks beyond it and says, like Jesus from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. We'll move on. Nimrod. Nimrod is mentioned. He's an example of what happens when one person with a wicked heart gets control. We see this every, well, very frequently in our nation and throughout our world. Somebody becomes very powerful. Somebody gets elected. Somebody gets appointed. Somebody becomes king or queen. And it never seems to get better. Isn't that true? The history of Europe, just to use European history, medieval history, which I'm pretty familiar with, is a series of kings and queens that were just awful human beings with very, very few examples of otherwise. Exceptions, very few exceptions. So you look at every single major world culture has these issues. We're the problem. We found the enemy and it's us. We're the problem. Nimrod was an extremely powerful ancient world ruler. He was a mighty warrior on the earth, we're told here in verse 8. By the way, his name literally means, let us rebel. I guess that says it all. As the founder of Babylon, he later became their chief god, Marduk. He's also been identified as the tyrant Gilgamesh 
in the famous epic, one of the most ancient uh, literary works that you've probably read either in college or high school. I know I did, didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, to be honest, but it's ancient literature, Gilgamesh. He was later deified in worship as Bacchus by the Romans. Maybe you've heard of Bacchanalia, which is a time of festive um, revelry, to put it nicely in terms that I want to say on a Sunday morning. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, not just a warrior on the earth, we're told in verse 9. This phrase connotes a man mighty in wickedness. He may have gained his reputation by hunting or slaying giant animals or even other people. These dangerous animals would have proliferated after the flood. Apparently there was even a saying that was associated with his name. A mighty hunter. Like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And in that phrase, is before the Lord, almost challenging the Lord, as mighty as the Lord. He, he became a god, if you will. And this is repeated over and over again in every ancient culture. He established many great cities. Isn't it true that cities just seem to breed evil? I wish it weren't true. There are good cities, not many. And most cities fall into decay. It's just, what is that all about? You know, I used to love going into New York in the Giuliani years. Um, and even in, during the Bloomberg years, I, I won't go there now. It's terrific. I mean, you're taking your life in your hands. Some of you guys, some of you guys work in the city and you have to ride the subways. I'm just going to say something. We pray for you. It, it, it's horrible. What is it about cities? Well, when you get a whole bunch of wicked people with sin natures in a closed place and you put them all together, guess what happens? Bad things. This, this is the lesson today. Bad things happen when people get together, apart from Christ. Where two or three gather in his name, he is in the midst. Amen? So that's the, that's the contrast. Now, one of the things that our world and, and our government is trying to do, they're trying to move us out of individual houses and into these housing units. Have you noticed? Everywhere you go, you see these multiple dwelling units going up. Everywhere. Everywhere. Okay? A building comes down, you know, 400 units goes up. Because traffic is not bad enough in New Jersey... We need another 800 people living on the same street. You know, I see this. It gets me angry. I don't understand it. I mean, New Jersey is, one of, is the most densely populated state, and we live in the most densely part of the most densely populated state. We don't need to be building multi-dwelling units. Now, I'm not getting on a whole zoning issue here today. I'm making the point that can any good come of putting all these people in small places? It doesn't work in the cities. Why would it work here in the suburbs? And it doesn't. Gee, I wonder why the crime rates are going up in the suburbs. Well, we'll move on. All of these things, they start to make sense when we understand things from a biblical point of view. So this man established many great cities in the Tigris-Euphrates Valley. Babylon was the capital and the center of his kingdom. Erech, or Uruk, uh, was 100 miles southeast of Babylon. It was the home of Gilgamesh, again, if you're familiar with that epic. Akkad gave its name to the Akkadian Empire, which we're familiar with. So you see how this isn't mythology? You see how this is not uh, a fairy tale? Because the Akkadians were descended from who? From whom? Akkad. That's what I'm trying to point out today. This man, Nimrod, extended his kingdom into what would become the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was 200 miles north of Babylon on the Tigris River, and cuneiform inscriptions, that's a pictorial language, confirm that Nineveh was colonized from Babylon. So history bears this out. Kala, or Nimrud, was 20 miles south of Nineveh. And these satellite cities with Nineveh made up a great metropolitan area. So, we find out that one of the reasons, among many, that God divided and confused the languages is so that men and women would not gather in densely populated areas and commit atrocities against one another. So any of you thinking about moving to the suburbs, there's your biblical proof text, I guess. But I really don't want you to move away, but I understand why people have. It's becoming more difficult to live in very extremely populated areas. And that makes sense, right? Now we understand. Okay, let's go back to our descendants here. Misriam, the ancestor of the Egyptians, Ludites, Adamites, the other peoples mentioned here, are the probable ancestors of most Africans. Most Africans. Uh, you had the Pathocytes. They're the ancestors of, of the Egyptians of Pathros in Upper Egypt. Again, you see the language 
translates from one language to the other pretty closely. The Kalashites, the ancestors of the Philistines, the Kaftarites, the ancestors of the Cretans, Crete, another island in the Mediterranean, and some of the Philistines. And then you have Put. Now, that's the ancient name for Libya, and they are, of course, Put was the ancestor of the Libyans. Now, Canaan was the ancestor of the Canaanites. They, they divided after the dispersion at Babel. We hear a lot about the Canaanites throughout the book of Exodus and into the book of Joshua. Uh, the people that are mentioned here, Sidon, is the ancestor of the Phoenicians or the Sidonians. The Hittites, the, ans- uh, the ancestors of the Hittite Empire and the Mongols of Asia and the Americas. The peoples of Asia and the peoples of the Americas, South and North America, are very closely linked. You see a lot of similar features. They're oftentimes referred to as indigenous peoples, but they're actually, none of us are indigenous per se. We all came from somewhere, right? (laughs) I mean, if you go back far enough, that's my point. Uh, So the Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, those are the Canaanites, again, of the Middle East, mentioned many times. And again, the dispersion was by clan language, resulting in nations within specific territories. By the way, languages unite nations, and that's the reason why united nations, not the the United Nations, nations that are united should and probably always will speak a unified language. And that's why we kind of talk about everybody should probably speak one language in a nation. In our nation, it happens to be English, Not that it's a better language, it just happens to be the language that we speak here. There are other languages. I'm bilingual, I speak Spanish fluently. Um, I'm learning Japanese uh, only because in the dojo, uh, our sensei speak to us in Japanese. And so after a while, you start to, you know, even a dog knows what, like, treat means, right? So um, block or, or get hit. After a while, you figure out what that word means in Japanese. I'm being silly. Anyway, let's talk about Shem's descendants, and then we'll close. Shem's descendants were the ancestors of the Semitic people. And you've heard this term a lot lately, anti-Semitic. You know that that basically means you were against a third of humanity? The Semites are not just Jews. Jews are not the only Semites. Anyone descended from Shem, that son of Noah, is a Semite. But isn't it interesting how we use that? You know, we've, we've narrowed it down to just one group within the Semitic peoples. And, of course, now anti-Semitism is on the rise. But it's fair to say that many of the people who aren't Jews in the Middle, in the Middle East are Semites as well. Shem, Sem. It's where you get the idea, okay? All right, so they settled in the Middle East. Let's read uh, verse uh, 21. The sons were also born to Shem. And this is Shem recording this for us whose older brother was Japheth, Shem, and the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. We'll talk a little bit about Eber this morning. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Arphaxad, that's a tough one, Lud and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hol, Gether, and Meshech, Arphaxad, was the father of Shelah, and Shelah the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, uh, because in his time the earth was divided. All right, and his brother was named Joktan. Joktan was the father of Almadad, Shelef, Hazar. I tell you what I'm going to do for your sake and mine. Um, all of those guys. <laughs> There's the list. The region, <laughs> the region where they lived, stretched from Misha towards Sephar in the eastern hill country, and these are the sons of Shem by their clans, languages, in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations, and from these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. So there's your history. There's the anthropology. There's the understanding of how did we get here. God commanded them to multiply and increase. They did. They did bad things. God divided them. We'll see that in, in next chapter. But ultimately, this is how we got to where we are. And God helps us to understand that by having Shem record, as an eyewitness, what happened. He lived a very long time, and he actually saw all of this happen. Now, again, they settled in the Middle East from the Mediterranean Sea to Persia, which is modern-day Iran. The term Hebrew comes from the sons of Eber, Hebrews, and this actually means many peoples, not just Jews. 
although it came to be the Jews later on when they were in Egypt. The founder or the king of Elba in northern Syria has been identified to be Ibram. Again, words keep popping up throughout culture. Elam, the ancestor of the Elamites, another word for the Persians. They later formed the Medo-Persian Empire, which we talked about when we studied Daniel. Asher, the ancestor of the Assyrians, who were later conquered by Nimrod. We talked about that already this morning. Arphaxad, got it right that time. The father of Shelah, the father of Eber, uh, the father of Peleg and Joktan. Now, Peleg's mentioned here for a reason. He's the ancestor of Abraham. And that's why Shem is getting us to Abraham. Or actually, Moses is taking the history recorded on clay tablets and communicating it down to us, but he's isolating. We're not going to talk about the Japhethites or the Hamites so much anymore. We're trying to get to Abraham because Moses is trying to get us to the Jewish people, the Hebrews, and the Holy Spirit is getting us to Jesus Christ. So we're not going to follow every branch of humanity. We're isolating it down to the Messiah. So that's why we're going to focus on the Shemites now as we go forward. But Peleg was the ancestor of Abraham and the Israelites. Peleg means division, literally means division. And he was given this name by Eber to signify a great event. I believe that event included God confounding the languages, the land masses settling in their tectonic shift after the flood, and all of us being divided throughout the whole planet, which was what God commanded them to do. By the way, had they done that and done what God told them to do, he wouldn't have had to confound their language, showing that they were already in disobedience to God. This division, most likely the traumatic dispersion at Babel. Now, Peleg was born 101 years after the flood, which helps us date the dispersion. So you have the flood, 101 years later, you have the Tower of Babel and the dispersion. And Eber lived during the time of Nimrod, who ruled the United Kingdom of Man. So this is ancient history. You're not going to get this history from anywhere else. It's all since been destroyed. You will get little pieces of it. You'll get vestiges of it. You'll find a word show up in a, in a religion in Babylon or in Rome. And I'm pointing that out so you can see we have the history. They have a pieces, piece of the history. But if you take all the little jigsaw puzzle pieces and you start to put them together, you see God's plan. And so, yes, I've taken the time this morning to go through all these names for a purpose, for a reason. I want your faith to increase, but I don't want it to be blind faith. Education is a good thing. Can I hear an amen? We do so little of it today in modern education systems. Actual education, learning something helps you to see from God's word that God's word can be trusted. And if that can be trusted, then his plan for your life can be trusted as well. So Jockton's mentioned here. He's an ancestor of the other Semites in the Middle East. Lud, the ancestor of the Lydians of Asia Minor. Uh, now you have Aram, who's mentioned. And this is, this is pretty interesting and important. He's the ancestor of the Arameans, who are the Syrians, who are an ancient people. They exist today. Damascus, one of the most ancient cities on the planet. Uh, their language became a world language. Because, you see, when the peoples were divided, they had to figure out, well, we've got to communicate, right? Let's pick a language. So they, apparently in that area at the crossroads of the trade from the west and the east and the north and the south, in that center were the Aramaeans. So people spoke Aramaic. And you know something? Jesus spoke Aramaic. He also spoke Hebrew. But Aramaic was the language of that time. It later became Greek, but not among the Semitic, Semitic peoples. The Greek, Greek was the, the language of the world. People used Greek to speak to one another in all different cultures. And like someone like Paul spoke Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, because if you're going to communicate with different cultures, you have to speak languages. So if you thought I was a little racist when I said we should speak English in America, I'm going to go one step this direction. I speak more than one language. I think they call people who speak two languages bilingual, right? You speak three or more, you know, multilingual, right? If you speak only English, you're probably American. <laughs> Nothing wrong with learning a language, all right? So I want to make that little point. Okay, now here's the thing. Aramaic, it became a Semitic language. People had to be able to communicate and trade. They, so that they had a form of a language that they could use to communicate to one another. And uh, his ancestors are mentioned there, like us, who's mentioned in the book of Job. Uh, you have others that are mentioned. I'm not going to re read over, uh, but these were Aramaeans. 
The point is that this dispersion by clan and language resulted in nations within specific territories. So if you look around, each of us and many of us are descended from different people groups. And with the study of the human genome over the last decade or two, there is now, what is it, 23andMe, Ancestry.com, you can spit in a little thing, and some of you guys have done this. Uh, I'm going to call Joe out. He was bugging me to do this. Where's Pastor Joe? He was like, oh, don't you want to do this? Don't you want to do this? I'm like, bro, I'm like Sicilian and Italian. Like, you know, what am I going to find out? That I could have saved $100. That's what I could find out. But Joe spent $100 and found out he was Italian. Right, Joe? So... I love you, Joe. Merry Christmas. Um, but my wife did it because she did it for, for health reasons, not to find out where she was from. But my uncle's really into this, right? So he went through, and he, he had everybody in the family tested, you know, and so all my ancestors. So I know exactly where I come from. And it, believe it or not, a quarter of me, I found out very recently, is Slavic. I know there's some English and German, but I was like, what? Russia, Russia, Russia? Yeah, so all of a sudden I find out things about, I am who God made me to be, and so are you. But if you look around, based on your parentage and based on your ancestors, you might be a different shade than the person sitting next to you. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. You might speak different languages than a person sitting across from you. You have a different culture. You have different traditions at Christmas, right? You come... I am sure that if you look around, you come from different continents. We have people from Africa... We have people from Central America, South America, obviously North America, Europe, right? Maybe even Australia. I don't know. Like Asia, certainly Asia. Isn't that a good thing in the body of Christ? So it's a bad thing when people come together for bad reasons, for evil purposes, like the Tower of Babel. But it's a wonderful thing when people come together for good purposes and godly purposes. Where two or three are gathered, I am in the midst. It's not a bad thing. In fact, I want to go one step further. When Christ sets everything right, he sets up a kingdom, and we all live in a city, New Jerusalem. So cities aren't all bad. It's mankind that's the problem. Have I made that clear? Say amen. Yeah, we need help. And you know, in this section that we've read today, there are 14 nations listed from Japheth, 30 from Ham. So that's a lot. And that's why you have those, the Hamites spread out over Africa, uh, the Americas, and Asia. And then you have 26 listed from Shem. Uh, these were derived from actual genealogical records available to Shem at the time. These 70 nations from Noah's three sons are the ancestors of all other nations. So yes, we are one, but that's never going to happen apart from Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We, we are one in Christ. So what happened at Babel is reversed in Christ. Babel was a time of division. In Christ, we are united. And, and yes, we, we are united in Christ, but united in Christ means that we love our enemies. We love those that use us and despitefully use us, hate us. United in Christ, that's the answer for every single problem our nation and our culture and our world faces today. But you know, it's an answer for you too. Because Jesus not only commanded them after the flood to multiply and fill the earth, he said to us, he invited us, it isn't even a command, it's an invitation. He said in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Does that describe you today? Weary and burdened? I'm weary of a lot of things in this world and, I'm, world, and I'm burdened by many of them. Are you weary and burdened? I will give you rest. You know, the word rest in Hebrew is so much more than rest. It actually can be translated bliss, heaven. Jesus, when he speaks of heaven, says, come and enter your rest. I, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, it's interesting to learn about the descendants of Ham, Japheth, and Shem. I think it's important. Some people would say it's a waste of time. I don't agree. But it's so much more important that with information comes wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. 
And we're told in the scriptures that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Do you understand? Say amen. If you want a relationship with God, the beauty of this is he's already made the invitation. He makes it over and over again throughout the scripture. He invites all those that desire to come to him to come. He will in no way cast out anyone who comes to him. Yeah, we got problems. We may very well destroy ourselves if God doesn't intervene. And I believe we would if God didn't intervene. But God is going to intervene. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. But you know, the reason we can be united in Christ is he died on the cross for our sins. He came as a child, but he lived his life. And some 30 years later, he died for us. He died on the cross for our sins to be payment for our sins. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He desires to give that gift. That is a gift that is so much greater than any gift we could possibly give or receive this Christmas. I want you to understand something. He wants you to receive that gift of salvation. Because he not only died on the cross, he rose again on the third day. Amen? And while we celebrate that at Easter or Resurrection Sunday, that truth is in our hearts even at Christmas time. So what do we need to do? Well, the only thing we need to do is give our hearts to him. So we're going to pray, and we are going to ask the Lord into our hearts. I'm not going to ask anybody to come up, no grandstanding, no circus event. We're just going to pray. And if this is the first time in your life you've ever done that, great. Then it'll be a Christmas filled with joy, unspeakable. Oh, it'll be a peace with, that has beyond understanding. But if you've given your life to Christ many years ago, I think a reminder is not a bad thing. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. You've given us a hope. You've given us a purpose to have a relationship with you. And that relationship with you calls us to relate properly with others through love. The next time we catch ourselves thinking a hateful thought, saying something mean or unkind, convict us whether it's to one of our family members or our neighbors or our coworkers, or to someone that we really have nothing in common with or someone that's on the exact polar opposite of an issue. Lord, we want to be united in you, but we want to, we want to serve mankind as well. And we know the only way we can do that is to have you in our hearts, to believe by faith. And we claim and believe and proclaim that you died on the cross for our sins. You rose again on the third day and you are coming again to judge the living and the dead. And we await your return knowing that by faith you save us as we believe these truths and give our hearts to you in surrender. Lord, may every heart here today be given to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.